Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yahoo Finance presents It's a Jungle Out There, the podcast where we take a wild approach to work and management. Chattering meerkats, they're endearing creatures, but they're also incredibly innovative members of the animal kingdom when it comes to social structure. So while one group is digging tunnels, two will stand guard and a few others will be off foraging for food. That diversity of roles between males, females, old and young is what helps them survive. So what can we learn from meerkats about diversity in the workplace? What are the benefits? And how do we hire to ensure diversity? Hello and welcome to this week's episode. Joining me today is David Krugshank, who's the Global Chairman of Deloitte and who is also the co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Partnering Against Corruption Initiative and a board member of the Social Progress Imperative. Hi, David. Good morning, Liana, and it's great to be here. And Suki Sandhu, who's the CEO and founder of a membership organisation championing diversity and inclusion in business called Involve, and is also the CEO of boutique executive search firm Orderless. Hey, good to meet you. Hi, morning. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining this week. We've got a really meaty topic that we need to unpack. And so this week we're talking about meerkats and workplace culture. So apart from being adorable, meerkats are one of the few mammals that take on different roles depending on the situation. And it also makes um, that individual gang incredibly versatile in the wild. So basically, the more diverse they are, the greater they succeed. So... First up, what do we understand as workplace culture? Culture is how people feel at work and whether they feel they belong, they can contribute, they can associate. It's set really from the values and the purpose of an organisation. It's got to be led from the top of an organisation, but everybody's got to feel it throughout the organisation. Everybody needs to walk and talk the same language uh, to make sure that the, 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 the culture's right. So I think those are the, the, main, the main headlines. It's, very, it's a very intangible thing. You know when it's right, and you also feel it when you go into an organisation, you know something's not right as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo those comments, and it's definitely, um, from my perspective, about behaviours. Um, and, th- and I agree that it, it comes from the top. So the people at the top of an organisation, be it the chairman, the CEO, the C-suite or the boardroom, are effectively the culture carriers in an organization. So the way that they behave, the way they present their values is an embodiment of the organization. It should trickle down to everyone else in the organization, but culture is also everyone's responsibility. It can't just be sat with the chairman. Everyone has to participate. Everyone has to be involved in in the way that the culture should be presented. Because sometimes there can be a disconnect between the values that might be written on the wall in a business and actually the behaviours you're actually experiencing and seeing happen in an organisation. And that's when there's a disconnect between the audio and the visual. So that needs to be rectified. 
Yeah, so when it comes to that workplace culture, I mean, one of the things that thankfully has a growing in prominence of how important diversity and inclusion is within that. Um, So when it comes to greater diversity inclusion in a business it's not just about for the social good but you know maybe we can like um unpack some of the ways in which it's also good for business it's not just social good like it actually improves company performance i just probably the three points there liana i think that uh firstly no organization has a monopoly of top talent and i think you'll hear so many people say They want to recruit and retain the best people. And to do that, you have to be attractive to people from all spectrums of life. In our sort of business, a people business, um, we also have to match the values of our clients. And unless we have the same sort of value set as many of our clients, you know, we're not valuable to them. So for a a simple uh, situation, we turn up with an all-male group and we're faced with a, um, an all-female group client, then that doesn't go down very well. So I think that's, that's the, second, the second point I'd make. The third point is more general purpose and values. And I think you know, an organization that has a great value set, great purpose is more sustainable for the long term. And I think there's so much research and evidence on that. So those are the three things I'd say. I, think, um, I don't think anyone could argue that diversity and inclusion isn't good for business anymore because there is so much research out there now that um, demonstrates that companies will be more profitable if they are more diverse and inclusive, full stop. So, I mean, we did some research with the Center for um, Economics and Research um, earlier this year where we demonstrated that companies that had more diversity and more diverse policies were something like 15 percentage points more likely to outperform their competitors. Um, their statistics like um, if people are able to be themselves from an LGBT perspective in terms of coming out the closet and being openly LGBT, they are 32% more productive. So there's all these statistics out there that, if I'm honest, have been used to engage people at the top who tend to come from a similar demographic, i.e. the older, straight, white, male, um, to encourage them and engage them because actually the argument about it being the, the right thing to do hasn't necessarily always been enough to engage them on the subject. They talk in numbers, they talk in data, they want to know how they can improve the bottom line for shareholders, for instance. So I think the the issue I have with diversity is that there is so much research now that a chairman or CEO can't really ignore it anymore. They have to be listening. And if they, I think Lord um, Mervyn Davies was quoted saying, if they're not taking diversity seriously, they're sleeping at the wheel. Because the world is moving on, we're more global, we are more diverse, we're trying to get more talent to the top who are diverse as well. Um, so they have to take it seriously to have competitive advantage. So it's almost reminding them. My mission is also to remind people that it's just the right thing to do. Because I think we're kind of a little bit fatigued with research. <laughs> and sometimes you might get people eye rolling when the diversity and inclusion comes up. But actually, remember, fundamentally, it's about doing the right thing. It's about supporting your workforce. It's about helping that, helping make sure that they belong. Because um, if you if your people are happy, they're going to treat your customers and clients really well. They're going to they're going to do a better job. So um, I think that's why it's really important. So one of the things that I'd be really interested to hear, David, is that um, being chairman of a company that has hundreds of thousands of workers, how do you, um, as a company like Deloitte, 
how do you foster that change? Because when you've got so many people across so many countries, um, how how do you make sure that you get this pipeline of uh, diverse talent in? And also, how how is that managed when there's so many moving parts and you want to make a big change within the company? There's no single action or no silver bullet, really. You have to deal with things at multiple levels. I think the the tone from the top and leadership is so important because I notice it in our organisation that where we've had uh, great leadership in a country, uh, we've advanced the diversity agenda more and significantly more um, than in countries where it's been supported but not not with the same same passion. So I think the, the, the leadership and tone from the top is so important. I think there are then um, other things you can do in terms of uh, recruitment and making sure that you you know you recruit from a diverse set of people and you don't just recruit people who look like and sound like you um, and you know at Deloitte for example we do contextualized recruiting now in the UK and we uh, we go out of our way to um, attract people from a wider social background than um, has historically been the case by uh, having a school leaver program as opposed to a university program and that's uh, given us a wonderful new set of, of, of talent that we didn't have before. I think that then you need to sort of manage it as you go through with, you know, yes, numbers and statistics we were talking about earlier, which people, I agree, some people get a bit jaded by those, but I think you do need to monitor and look at forecasts and look at goals um, and make sure that uh, that you're 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 achieving those. I think there are other couple of other, I, I suppose, more how it feels in the organisation type of things. We we've in in the vast majority of our countries now we have uh, network groups for um, for different minority groups to improve that sense of belonging. I think those have worked really well. Some were dubious about that when we set them up, but they um, they have allowed us to attract people and create communities uh, of belonging, which I think's been really positive and then maybe a harder edge thing we do have in all our countries diversity and inclusion training which sounds terribly um, robotic in a way but but what it does is it, it it sort of highlights the unconscious bias bit if you like and tries to talk to people about that in a way that's not aggressive but makes people I suppose watch out for their own behaviors so employee resource groups What's your response uh, to the straight white males who probably want to know where their resource group is? I, what you're trying to do with, I, I call them networks, you know, call them resource groups. I think you're trying to create a level playing field. And that's the way I look at all of our diversity and inclusion initiatives. You're trying to make sure that everybody feels they can belong, they can thrive at work, they can do really well, that work will get the best out of them and they contribute. They can contribute the best to work. So uh, white males are still in the majority in the leadership teams of, uh, of many organisations, I'd say still most organisations. So they have their level playing field already. So I don't, I don't think they need, they need special representation. But we did have that when we introduced uh, the, the, our, our network groups, um, which was probably around most, most countries around mid-2000s. Um, but, but, 
you know, the, the, the white males have, have their networks. So it's, I see creating a level playing field is my answer to everything because I think it is. It's trying to make sure that everybody feels they can thrive and, and, and prosper at work. And let's not forget that straight white men have had their own group for hundreds and hundreds of years. <laughs> it's so called it's life. Called, it's called the old school boys <laughs> club. So, you know, I don't feel too sorry for them, if I'm honest. So it's about um, giving, like leveling the playing field, giving diverse communities a chance to to giving them a little bit more competition. So they're not so automatically getting that promotion or getting that top job, because actually they've got a woman um, who's competing with them, an ethnic minority and someone who might be LGBT. So, um, but the important thing with the networks is to ensure that you are like including the majority in the conversation as well. So they have to be included. Otherwise you do have the issue of that Google memo from that straight um, white guy that got fired mm. um, for his comments, but his voice is important too. Um, he needs to be listened to and we need to try and build bridges. One question I had, David, so when you talk about the training, is it mandatory or is it um, voluntary when it comes to diversity and inclusion in Deloitte? The unconscious bias training is mandatory. Great. Um, and yeah. so, and people get, in the same way that we have compliance and regulatory training that people have to do, it's exa- everybody has to do it and yeah, sign off, otherwise is... they get chased up because otherwise it's a bit self-selecting, isn't it? Exactly, <laughs> yeah, actually, because yeah, actually yeah. you might find that all the diverse communities go to this training, but then the ones that you're trying to engage <laughs> yeah, are like absolutely. the straight white guys who need to be more engaged on the subject. Absolutely. So, And also going through unconscious bias training isn't the the, the end of the, the debate because obviously I think some people go through the training and think, all oh, right, I'm not biased anymore. Which obviously isn't true yeah. because everyone is biased, including me, Mr. Inclusion, as I've been as I've been called before, where I know that I'm unconsciously biased towards diversity, for instance. So I know that in in Dallas, where we're recruiting a mandate for a CEO, for instance, I'm probably going to give the straight white guy a tougher time in the interview because I want the black woman to get the job. So to mitigate that, what I would do is I would interview with someone alongside me. So we're doing in pairs so that we get two points of two perspectives on the candidate and being aware to take it easier on the on the non-diverse candidate to give them a fair chance because we're about leveling the playing field um, for people. But um, in fact, uh, when you talk about networks and um, employee resource groups, um, Deloitte are actually members of Involve. So we're really proud to have you guys as members where we then work with the women, people of color and LGBT people within the business, effectively trying to equip them with the tools and knowledge that they need to try and help climb the career ladder so that they have that sense of belonging. So it's really important because there are so many things that you can do as an organization to try and foster that change you're talking about. It isn't one one size fits all. And it's not going to be just one thing that will fix everything. There are so many different layers to the to the solution that you have to do a number of different things to drive it. So it, one thing in terms of hiring diverse talent is great. So bringing in diversity, but if they don't feel like they belong when they get there, so you're not doing the inclusion side, they're just going to leave. So what's the point? If you're investing all that money into hiring talent, you need to work on the culture side as well. I mean, I've got other examples of what companies are doing, if that's helpful in terms of um, particular interventions. Absolutely. And I think that we'll pick up on that exact point after this break. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So one of the things that I really want to um, get to um, before we start getting into more examples of um, what companies can do or best practice to foster better diversity inclusion is picking up on what you're talking about on um, unconscious bias and actually how that fits into what we consider a culture fit. So I've worked at places where like there's been previously they pride themselves on culture. They say we're inclusive and diverse, things like that. However, um, when people seem to have been let go or move on, they go, they're just not the right fit. But all the talk about someone not being a culture fit just seems to be a shorthand way of keeping everyone looking the same and being the same. And it's, it's a bit of a weird one. So, I mean, how do you, um, you know, unpack the idea of what culture fit means? I mean, my my perspective on that actually is when trying to get someone to fit a mold is almost the opposite of inclusion. Because the whole point of inclusion is that you're able to bring your whole self to work and be authentic. So there shouldn't almost be a cookie cutter approach to the personality traits you might expect in someone mm. to be successful in um, a business. So, I mean, there are many reasons why someone might leave an organization. And if it's come down to cultural fit, actually maybe it's because they maybe come from a big corporate environment. They're joining a smaller business that's more dynamic, lacks processes, ambiguity, and they literally cannot survive and thrive and be successful in that environment. And it does happen. That's not to do with diversity, that's to do with the fact that the environment wasn't right for them. Um, I kind of think with um, the, the, the mold of, of, of a person has to, has to evolve. Um, we have to move forward with allowing us to be ourselves when we come into the office. Definitely. And so when it comes to when we were talking about before, making sure that the environment, the culture that a company creates is it's not just about getting people through the door. It's about retaining people and creating that environment. Um, so in terms of that, how do you see, um, you know, key steps in making sure that environment is created and therefore retain all these people? Yeah, I think as we were talking about earlier, I think uh, it does take a lot of time to recruit somebody. It takes a lot of time to train somebody. Um, and we know the benefits of having a diverse uh, workforce generally. And so there is a lot of value associated with retaining people. And, you know, just to state the obvious, that's, that's, that's really important. Uh, there is something about this um, sense of belonging seeing people like you progress in an organization so to unpick that into details you know don't have platforms people on platforms speaking about things unless it's a diverse group make sure they aren't all um, white males make sure you've got a, a diversity on a platform make sure that when you are looking at your promotion pipeline that you have diversity there and call it out if you don't Make sure that when you are um, looking at uh, people for roles within the firm, 
that you insist on a diverse slate and you're not prepared to look at an undiverse slate. So there's lots of, I suppose I'd call them probably more tactical things that you, you, you can do, but you've got to set that tone. And it doesn't, I think in any organization, you've just got to keep working at it. I don't think things happen automatically because, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I think most big organizations in the world are still led by, by men. Yeah, I think um, it, on top of all the the ideas that David just mentioned, I mean, there's there's things around um, when it comes to retention. Um, it's about providing the the talent with the support they need to thrive in their in the role that they're in. So you can look at things like a mentoring program, a sponsorship program. Um, that could also be internal. It could be external. So in Involve, we have a cross company mentoring program, which is probably the biggest benefit that most of the members undertake when joining our organization. So that means we're matching um, a diverse future leader in the organization with a mentor who's more senior from a different industry in a different company, which is incredibly powerful if you think about um, those confidential conversations for that individual to talk about their career and their issues that they're having is very different and contextualized if it's someone internally because they'll have more honest conversations about their issues. And we've got great anecdotes from people that have been on the program where um, a lawyer was on um, from a Magic Circle law, law firm was talking about how she's tried to get a secondment to a different part of the organization for some training um, for a few years and hasn't been able to. And then since having a mentor through the Involved Mentoring Program, she that mentor was able to coach her, make sure she's asking the right questions, how she positions her application. And she managed to get a secondment in that 12-month program, which wow. you see the level of confidence that this individual gets from having it. It's hugely powerful. Um, but things like even setting up employee resource groups. So having, when you're a huge organization like Deloitte, so having, they've got women's networks, LGBT, um, ethnicity. These are really, really important for creating that safe environment where people can talk about the issues um, amongst themselves. But we have to also remember that we have to engage allies. So when you're talking about women, men have to be involved in the conversation because they're the majority. When you're talking about LGBT, we need straight people in the room. They're the, they're the majority. LGBT is roughly around, well, people say 6% of the world. I like to say 10%. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that means 90% are straight. So we yeah. need to get the majority involved. And when it comes to ethnicity, which is probably the most challenging mm. of subjects to talk about here in the UK or in the US, we need white people in the subject and in the conversation because they're the ones that are in, in the majority of roles um, in terms of driving the agenda forward. Um, I know that, for instance, and sorry to talk about one of your competitors, um, <laughs> but PwC, I know, have banned um, all male shortlists, for instance. Um, to try and help drive um, gender diversity. ITN and the BBC have banned all white shortlists because mm. they have a challenge with ethnicity. So trying to ensure that they're leveling the playing field to bring in more diverse talent to the business. It's little interventions like that that are really important that in aggregate will hopefully, hopefully um, bring in more mm. change. I think what's really interesting as well is the side of um, talking about how to get those short lists or people through the door, like having that list of a diverse range of candidates. Um, but what I'd really love to hear about is also how do you go about it? Like, I know it sounds, you know, probably a bit silly, right? You know, like, how do you find a diverse range of candidates? But there's been many times when um, I've seen, you know, previously or you read about it where people come up with the short list and there's no women on it or there's no um, ethnic diversity on there whatsoever and they go well these are all the people that have applied so you know that's the list that we have so in that situation I mean how 
like what other ways, especially um, I know that you, uh, you know, recruit executive level that you have to take in order to make that short list of candidates diverse? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm quite I'm quite militant about things like this now, because obviously in, in my in one of my day jobs, one of my hats is to encourage chairman and CEOs to think differently about who they're hiring and how they're hiring. So a lot of the time we'll get the chief HR officer of the organization tapping us on the shoulder saying, hey, Suki, can you please come and spend some time with with um, our leaders? We want to talk about how we can do things differently. So when it comes to hiring specifically, um, there is a war for diverse talent out there in, in the world, full stop. Um, so when you hear things like in tech, there are only 15% women in tech. And so a lot of companies might hide behind that statistic to say, well, this is why we only have like 5% representation in the executive committee for women in the leadership team. Our perspective is to flip that argument on the head and say, hang on, if there's 15% women in tech, how are you getting that 15% of women to come and work for you? What is it about your employer brand that's going to attract them? And this is where culture and inclusion comes, because actually a lot of these women want to go to an environment where they're going to be included and they can belong and they can they can live their lives outside of work as well as inside of work. So that some of the practical things you can do is when when you're trying to identify a certain need that you need to hire, how do you widen that brief as much as possible so you can bring a wider talent pool to the table? So does it have to come from the industry that you're recruiting in? Are there transferable mm. skills from another discipline of skills that can do the role? Um, can we look at the level below if you're hiring an exec role? Does it have to be someone that's an established CFO in banking, for instance, mm. already? Can you look at someone who's a level, level below? Because... Everyone knows that pillar, that pyramid of talent, as you climb an organization, it gets less and less diverse. So what we call is the marzipan layer, which is probably CEO minus two or three. There are a lot of, there's a lot of really great talent out there that is diverse and there's more diversity there. And if you think about the focus on diversity and inclusion in businesses where they're investing in their diverse talent through leadership development, talent management programs, mentoring, whatever it might be, it means they're almost ready for that next step. It means as an organization, you have to work twice as hard to identify who that talent is and also to ensure that you're finding talent. Because we have to also remember it should always be about the best person for the job. Because there are also some terrible, diverse candidates out there. <laughs> and likewise, there are some mediocre, straight white guys. So it should be about the best person for the job. Because the last thing you want is a tokenistic approach to mm. recruitment because that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the person that's in the job. It doesn't help the person that's interviewing because it's just a really horrible experience for everyone and actually probably detrimental to the diversity um, journey. And I think, Liana, if you go back, you know, we've heard this story before, oh, it's too hard and there are only uh, white men uh, around for, for, for roles uh, and that's ignoring sexual orientation and other things. But the um, when we, if you go back to 2011... Uh, where I was a founder chair of the 30% Club, and we had, I think at that stage, it was about 11% of directors in the FTSE 100 were women, and we targeted 30%. And I think Lord Mervyn Davis at the time, uh, in the, the official government stats, was targeting 25%. We said 30% because we thought there's something about having a quorum of a group in any group, so it's no good to being diverse if you've got one token yeah. diverse person, if you like. So we, we picked 30%. But if you look at that, um, that target 30% was reached uh, a couple of months ago. Now, has everything got fixed in the corporate world? Is the pipeline fixed? Do we have all the talent coming through from every woman? Uh, no, we don't. Um, but 
what many people said was an impossible target in 2011 has been achieved. And I think that's the case in every other area of diversity. You know, people will say there are impossible targets out there and we can't do it. But guess what? I think if you set the tone in the organization and you say to people, look, I want to see diverse uh, recruitment lists, I want to see diverse uh, promotion lists, people will start to pay attention to that and people will start to work harder. I agree with you. I think people will start to look a bit harder, do a bit more work, won't take short-term answers to things. Now, having said all that, you know, there will be times when, you know, the only person available, especially in a very uh, specialist area, um, is somebody who is, you know, a white man. And that's fine. You've got to, got to recognise that's the reality of life. But I, I do think if you by a number of interventions, you can change the dialogue and throughout the pipeline, the the, the terms of trade change. Now, I, I think it's great what the 30% Club have done so far. So Helena Morrissey is actually a really good friend, um, really, really big fan of hers. Um, she's the founder of the 30%, 30% Club. Club yes. Yeah. And um, the, the issue I have with a lot of the mm. women's um, kind of diversity, and I'm trying not to say anything too controversial here, but is that the... Well, you can. <laughs> I feel like gender is is the one diverse trend that most companies are doing the most with. It's the it's the protected characteristic that they're the most comfortable with is gender. So I, I appreciate what you're saying about the thirty percent club driving up nearly thirty percent of diverse um, appointments or representation in on boards in the UK. But if you look at the executive roles on the executive side, say in the FTSE one hundred, mm. so you've got the board that meet maybe. Um, eight times a year and it's in, improved. The executive committee are the ones that are actually day-to-day -day running the business. They're the direct reports of the CEO. That representation for women, I think, sits at around 9%. So it's shockingly low. So I think this focus on the non-exec side is great, but then what it's also done is it's, it's reduced the talent pool of women for those C-suite roles, be it CEOs. I think Alison Britton at Whitbread was quoted um, a couple of years ago, she's the CEO for Whitbread, saying that where are the future female CEOs? If they're all moving into portfolio non-exec careers, then where are the future female CEOs? Because they're, they're almost moving across too soon. And with a lot of the women's um, uh, groups, there seems to be a strong focus on middle and upper class white women, unfortunately. Like it's not fully represent re representative of women, full stop. So there aren't enough um, ethnic minority women, there aren't enough LGBT women in that conversation. So that's something that needs to be addressed as well. No, and I think, uh, listen, I'd agree with all of that. I think the executive pipeline is the uh, big area of focus in you know, most, most organisations and including the 30% Club looking at that. And that's still... That's still a challenge. And I think, you know, you have to start with goals, targets, whatever you want to call it, that people think are achievable. And, of course, with women, you start off with 50-50 in the population. Yeah. So, in a way, you could say it's a, it's an easier target to get to. But I, I, I do think uh, organisations are moving to, to the, the broader aspects of diversity as well because, again no organization has a monopoly of the top talent and yeah. the top talent comes in all shapes and sizes and so I, I i i do think it's changing but just the you know the reality in organizations organizations respond to a given number of things at any one time if you have too many things everybody just gives up and goes away yeah. and so it's it's a step by step and not making excuses but i i, I think it's just yeah the reality of how organizations work so you, and, know, you know that and also agree what gets measured gets done yeah mm. so gender is it's very clear to know whether someone's a man or a woman when you you might be trying to collect that data it's visible um 
ethnicity is getting there. We've got the Parker Review, which was um, installed last year. So a target for FTSE 100 boards to have one ethnic minority beyond 2021, because we've been able to measure it and get that data. That data collection is really, really important. Mm. But then when you look at LGBT, it's invisible. Yeah. You don't necessarily know someone's LGBT just by looking at them. I mean, some would say they can tell me because I wear such fabulous <laughs> clothes, but I don't mind. But I think the the um, when you have to self-declare a, a protected characteristic, it's a lot harder to collect that data. Yeah. And it's the same with disability, for instance, or socioeconomic diversity, because you can't, some disabilities are invisible. You don't know whether they are disabled unless they declare it. Socioeconomic um, background, someone from a working class background, again, you don't know if they're a working class background because you have to declare it. So that's where it becomes more of a challenge. Especially, I mean, I think what's really great is that we're getting to um, a wider understanding within society as well of how intersectional diversity yeah. is becoming. Um, as we are saying before, like it's it, it's a bit more easier when initially, and it's all about stages, right, that it's about the gender balance. But then when you delve in deeper, it's more than just, you know, women, men, 50-50. Then when you look at the um, LGBTQ plus community, then you think about socioeconomics. And then also another part that I think is really important and especially when you get to the leadership um kind of level whether it's middle manager and above is about neurodiversity as well mm -hmm. and that's one thing that i think that has been great over the last few years is gaining more prominence yeah i you know 10 years ago i never heard anyone talk about that within a company to the extent that we do now yeah i mean intersectionality from our perspective is the future um so with Involve, for instance, we launched the mother brand Involve that sat above Outstanding, mm. Empower and Heroes, which are the three initiatives we have specifically for LGBT, ethnic minorities and women. So we believe the communities need to do more together to drive it. So with me, for instance, personally, I'm, I'm gay, I'm Sikh, I'm Indian, I'm working class. I'm a middle child. <laughs> there are so many. I'm 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 from Derby, which people are most horrified with when I tell them. Um, even the way that I say my vowels, I say up and path and grass. I don't speak like David. I don't say grass or path. I'm I'm not as posh as people think. Um, but so intersectionality is really important, particularly if you think about the dom the dominant um, groups within certain um, protected characteristics. So when people talk talk about the LGBT. Um, movement it's dominated largely by gay white men so we're very conscious in and involved to ensure that we're having different voices at the table it's the mm. one reason why we launched the involve involve brand um and when it comes to intersectionality i think empathy is really important because mm. you need to understand the experiences of different communities around you. So if you think about building bridges between LGBT and ethnic minorities, you've got LGBT people where um, they might think eth um, ethnic minorities are homophobic and you've got ethnic minorities that think that um, LGBT people are racist. So then trying to build bridges across the two is really important because we do great things in the LGBT community, even in a sense of um, the L, the G, the B and the T being together mm. to try and drive change. Now, I know we're not perfect as a community and there are issues within that, but then at least we're, we're together and we're trying to drive the change. You think about ethnic minorities, it's incredibly complex. You've got um, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Chinese, Korean, You've got black, and when you break down black, you've got Jamaican, Kenyan, Ghanaian. Um, you've got so many different strands, but they rarely do anything together. Mm. So if you think about the intersectionality of the actual ethnicities is really, really important too. So that's the way that we, we run our organization is to try and encourage the communities to do more together. Because I think if you think of LGBT in, from a business perspective, 
a lot of the employee resource groups, they are very vocal and very visible, including in Deloitte. So, I mean, I yeah. went to a, a big LGBT conference in Seattle a few weeks ago and Deloitte had a big contingent there and they were loud, they were proud, it was amazing. If you think about ethnic minorities, the really perverse thing is that with ethnic minorities, they're not as visible, even though you know they're an ethnic mm. minority, they're a lot quieter. So I feel like the ethnic minority community can learn a lot from the LGBT movement in terms of how they can drive um, more change for them and for our community. But it also means we need to work together. Yeah, and I, I think just going back to the, you know, the focus on women and the focus on other aspects of diversity, I think uh, goes back to the, what we were talking about earlier in the conversation about the the tone, the values, the the purpose of an organisation. I think if you if you have all the, um, the the tonal aspects and you get the environment right and the empathy right and everything else, you are likely to get all of uh, the diverse groups uh, feeling that they belong and feeling they can perform and enjoy coming to work and so on. Um, but you do need special initiatives for the different groups. I, I, I agree with that. And, and you know, it's a, we call them in some countries visible ethnic minorities because, of course, in our world, we have some countries where everybody's black. We have yeah. some countries where everybody's uh, Asian. And we have and, and so it's, it's, it's visible um, minorities in, in each country. And... Uh, and, and particularly in countries where, you know, we don't reflect the balance of society. In some cases, you know, we, 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 we want to be ahead of that. I think a big challenge also when you talk about intersectionality is that there is almost like a hierarchy of comfort of the diversity characteristics that people want to talk about in business. So gender obviously is the most prominent. It's the one it's the one um, area that most companies are helping helping in because they're more comfortable with it. So if you think about my comment around empathy, um, I think the reason why a lot of the gender movement is more prevalent is because a lot of these chairmen and CEOs in charge have got daughters who are entering the workplace. And they're probably putting pressure on, there's quite a few chairmen and CEOs I've spoken to where their daughters are like pushing them to do more to help them. Um, but then how many of those chairmen and CEOs have got an LGBT child mm. or exposed to an LGBT person? How many of them know ethnic minorities in their private personal circles? Um, it's that empathy that is really important. And actually, when you think about that hierarchy of comfort, I feel com companies are more comfortable talking about women. Um, it's probably, if I'm honest, next is probably sexuality or sexual orientation. The third is is race. Race is probably the most uncomfortable thing that companies are, are uncomfortable about. And I mean, I've been in meetings with some chairman, for instance, where he, one of them, he couldn't, I won't say who, because what I'm about to tell you, but he couldn't even say the word black. He felt really uncomfortable saying it. And I was sat with a black colleague actually in my um, in the meeting and I was like, it's okay, she knows she's black. She's not gonna be offended. Um, or just using the wrong language where a lot of the time it's not coming from a place of hate. So I've had one chairman say, oh, you know, the blacks are okay here. And I've been wow. a little bit surprised. Ah. And it's me saying, well, okay, Mr. Chairman, this isn't some 1960s Zulu film with Michael Caine. Like the language has evolved slightly. What you might want to say is ethnic minorities or people of color. But when I explained that to him, he was mortified. He didn't know. No one had ever told him. So I think a lot of it, the, the language when it comes to race is a bit of a minefield because actually it's always evolving. So you have to constantly educate yourself to learn and understand. Um, we almost need a glossary of the language and how it is. So can you say people of color? Can you say ethnic minorities? Can you say black? Can you say brown? Um, do you use the term BAME? which I personally don't like, which stands for black, Asian and minority ethnic. I think it sounds like an STD. 
my name's Suki and I've got BAME. Like, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So I think I prefer ethnic minorities. But then actually it also depends on the ethnic minority. Because mm. I've referred to a black woman as black and she, she kind of equates it to the N-word. So again, I was horrified saying that is not how I meant it at all, um, this Nigerian black woman. So it is really, really challenging. But then we have to open the conversation, the dialogue to talk about it, to then actually try, stop doing some of the interventions we've talked about earlier in this conversation to help those communities. And I think language is really important. You know, I mean, the way that communications are done in an organisation, the way that things are presented, the terminology used all the time, I think it's that, again, it's worth having... And many many views on uh, you know, formal communications that go out to make sure that they are relevant and uh, that they don't alienate people yeah. that they meant to, that they meant to appeal to. So uh, I think language generally really important. Yeah, and also if you think about um, that that hierarchy of comfort we talked about, I almost feel like someone is probably more comfortable being called sexist than say racist. Racist is probably something that no one ever wants to be called. It's almost like there's definitely more offense being taken called that. So it, the, the the solution has been, I think, almost to put the head in the sand and not talk about it at all, to, to even open up that Pandora box of what you need to do in your business. Because actually, again, with race, you can see very quickly how racially diverse a board is or, or a, an executive leadership team just by looking at it. So there's companies where um, they have an all white board. There are still some in the FTSE 350, for instance, or an all-white leadership team. So there, there is a real challenge to be had, particularly if you're a global consumer brand where you might sell a lot of your products in regions where they are very ethnically diverse, but then they're not seeing the representation in the, in the, in the team at the top. Mm. There was one thing that I really wanted to um, bring up, though, is that um, before we go, how this dialogue is changing and who's driving that. And that's obviously the younger generation, our new workforce coming in, um, coming into place, um, the millennials. And so um, I know that also at the same time, Deloitte has done a lot of research on this and how younger people in the workforce are changing the dynamics in terms of what they look for in a company and how important an environment of diversity inclusion is to whether they stay so it would be great to just get some um closing um ideas or from from the reports that you guys have done before on that yeah, thanks Danny. yeah we do a, a millennial survey every year which uh, is a global survey um and just about every country in the world uh, uh contributes to it and what's interesting is firstly the trends around the world are the same so whether you're in asia europe or america what millennials want out of the workplace is broadly the same. Millennials do want to be well paid. They they do want to work hard. They do want to um, have a workplace that challenges them, that uh, where they can enhance their career passport and all the things you'd expect. But they also are very demanding of organisations in terms of purpose and value set and uh, you know what the organisation stands for. And they call out. They call out poor behaviours and uh, you know worst. They walk with their feet if if, um, if if they don't like it. At best, they 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 will they will call it out internally and say that's not acceptable and so on. So I, I every time I read our millennial survey, I'm full of confidence actually about the generation coming through right around the world because I think they they are challenging some of the norms that exist in some countries. Um, I do think they've got a great value set. I don't think it's right to say that they aren't attracted by all the things that appealed to previous generations about 
the world of work. They want that, but they want it and, and they want the workplace to stand for the right things. And most of them feel that their organisations do contribute um, to wider purpose, wider society, to uh, things that are going on in, the, in, in, in their organisation that have those outward-looking aspects. They feel they do con- contribute to that, but they also feel that mo- most organisations could do more. So I think they would like to see their leaders do more. And I think, you know, those are, those are the leaders of the future. And I think we have to have environments that are right for them to, to thrive and where they feel that the organisation stands for their beliefs. completely agree with everything David said and I think um, millennials can be difficult to manage because actually business may not necessarily have caught up with what millennials need in an environment or want Um, even simple things like they they don't necessarily want to wear a tie or a suit going into the office they want to be wearing sneakers Um, they don't want to be working nine to five regimentally they want to be able to work more flexibly and that's a that's a big shift for the way corporates or businesses are, are run at the moment particularly in a more globalized world but I have to also say, given my, with my hat on from an Ordellis perspective, remember we're hiring very senior people for our clients globally. Those candidates also um, are more are, are not just interested in the reward or compensation they're getting financially for doing a role. They want to know who they're working for. They want to know what their background is. They want to know about the culture and the values of the organisation as well before deciding whether they want to move. Particularly diverse candidates, because usually they've consciously made a decision where they want to work because they want to feel like they're included. So it's not just millennials. I think it's the the all levels of, of a workforce um, need to be included. And if you think about intergenerational diversity as well, which we haven't touched on, the workforce is also growing older and working for longer. So we need to also think about their needs and how they can be included and building bridges between the, I hate to say, the young and inverted commas and then mm. the intergenerational, slightly more mature employees. But I think it's impacting everyone. It's not just millennials. Great. Well, thank you so much for today, Suki and David. This has been an awesome conversation and I'm sure that all you listeners um, enjoyed it too. And don't forget that you can find show notes and helpful articles under the Work and Management channel on uk.finance.yahoo.com. And please rate, subscribe and tell your friends about us. And while you're at it, download the Yahoo Finance app for unparalleled access to data and alerts on the go. Yahoo Finance presents It's a Jungle Out There, produced by Liana Brinded and Caitlin Mercer, recorded, edited, and mixed by Lolita Laguna, and music by Gregory Moore. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.